Hello out there! I'm Will. And I'm Whitney. And you're listening to Yelling About Superheroes. This is episode 10, Thor Ragnatok, part 1. We're basically going to talk about what's probably our favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, and by extension our favorite superhero movie, period. So, in our lead-up to Infinity War, we've been watching all of the MCU movies over the course of a what feels like an eternity. A couple Or what months. feels like an infinity. Stop. That was, that was terrible. Stop. I'm so sorry. Anyway, we have... Just last night, we rewatched Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, to be clear, this is like... You're listening to this way later than when we actually did this. We're recording this in April, but yeah. So yeah, last night we rewatched uh, Thor Ragnarok. And I think this movie has um, a special place in both our hearts. Just beyond being completely amazing like this is a movie that actually sort of started this podcast um we well basically we were uh dating long distance for the first three months of our relationship and basically we spent two nights in a row video chatting for like a solid couple hours at least after i saw ragnarok about just how dang good it was and at one point I think I was the one who sort of jokingly said, huh, we should totally have a podcast for this stuff. And then like an hour later, we had about 50 episode ideas and it was very much not a joke. So yeah, Ragnarok has an important role to play in the origin story of our podcast. So we're really happy to be doing this episode finally. It's fun. Yeah. So where do we want to start? Is like, is the beginning perfectly fine? That is usually where people start. Uh, But yeah, yeah, I think we can... uh basically start, you know, maybe setting the stage a little bit. Ragnarok is the third Thor movie taking place after the first Thor and the Dark World, as well as after the first Avengers and Age of Ultron um, in the lead up to Infinity War. Yeah, I think actually, because most of the Marvel movies in this particular phase are set almost right after Civil War, like Black Panther and Spider-Man Homecoming are set very close to Captain America Civil War. And I feel like, especially given the post-credits scene, Ragnarok actually happens right before Infinity War. That seems likely, I think. I think when we watch Infinity War, we'll find out exactly how close. Yeah, definitely. You guys probably already know, because yeah. we're listening to this uh, later. Yeah, it's a it's kind of weird not knowing what's going to happen in Infinity War, but knowing people will be listening to this, knowing what will happen in Infinity War. But anyway. Super disorienting. Yeah, really. But, but it's okay. Carry on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this ba- it basically opens with us uh, kind of setting the mood a little bit, um, establishing that this is going to be different. Oh, Pretty 100%. from previous Thor movies. Oh, totally, totally. Like, before Thor was the... Thor had a lot more gravitas, even in the first movie, which has like makes a business of making Thor look like an idiot. He has a lot more sort of dignity he, in both the first two movies, although they're not without their humorous moments. Even Dark World, which I just I maintain does not deserve the bad rap it gets. But you see like Taika Waititi's fingerprints all over this movie immediately, and it's it's fantastic. Like I walked into this movie having already seen one of his previous works, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which I've been recommending to Will for like months now. And in case you don't know what that is, it's basically about a group of vampires living in modern day Wellington, New Zealand. And it's just like friggin' 
an hour and a half, two hours or whatever of just freaking the same kind of humor that's in Thor Ragnarok, just completely absurd yet cutting at the same time. And I saw that humor right away in Ragnarok and I was like, oh, this is gonna be so good. I love the, I know, I know what you're thinking. Oh no, Thor's in a cage. Yeah, I, wait, I just made a connection. Um, does it remind you of um, Emperor's New Groove at all? I don't know, I haven't seen Emperor's New Groove in a long ass time. Okay, I, for a second I thought you were gonna say you hadn't seen it at all and I'm like, we're fixing this, but we're, we're fixing it regardless. But I was gonna be really upset if you hadn't seen it at all. Oh my God, I just made this connection, but it's so great, I love it. Right. Yeah, and it establishes um, pretty early on a fairly well-known... I don't think he's like a recur much of a recurring villain in the Thor comics, but he's signif pretty significant and I think has a major role in actual Norse mythology. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think either of us knows a lot about Thor's myth Norse mythology. I said Thor's by mistake. Thor's mythology. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if like Surtur actually played like a really significant role in actual mythology. Yeah, um, he is interesting. I'm in still this laughing one. about the part uh, that's where he's like, Thor, son of Odin. And Thor goes, Surtur, son of a bitch, you're alive. I was just, it was just great. There's so much fantastic dialogue in this movie. And like, not just the dialogue, it's, but the physical comedy either, which I don't know how much of that would be down to the screenwriters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, what we do yeah. in the shadows is like two hours of that stuff. It's great. Okay, um, I don't know if we need to loop back to that, but anyway, edit that part. Edit my comments out there. So yeah, it almost feels like the way the first Thor movie and the first Avengers movie played on, like Joss Whedon said when he was directing the first Avengers movie, that very few things were funnier than um, Asgardians getting knocked out of frame mid-sentence. Mid oh, seriously? He said that? Yeah, he, uh, you know, he has a point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and at this point, Thor has basically accepted, it almost feels like Thor's accepted that bit of absurdity and is now leaning into it rather than just trying to go around pretending like he's just maintaining some royal dignified position. Yeah, no, and the ways in which he embraces I think are interesting because I'm thinking, again, of the like parts where he's twisting on the chain. He's like, oh, sorry, I'm facing away from you. Like that's a, in a sense him going out of frame and him directly calling attention to that, which I think is delightfully metatextual. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So anyway, um, Surtur insists that he will cause Ragnarok. Um, Thor calls his hammer to him, but not quite at the right time, which that gag, I that gag will never get old. And I'm so sad that we probably won't have any more of those, but we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, they, um, get, they get in like all of the Mjolnir related humor and stuff that they have to in the first, like, you know, while they still can. Yeah, except for like, I mean, there's so many like Captain Hammer jokes that could have made, but they didn't. And I'm kind of sad about that. That's a little bit too obscure for the MCU movie, but that's a... Uh... I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, but yeah, so Thor fights off a bunch of like faceless flaming demon hordes or whatever. Does the cool thing where he spins Mjolnir really, really fast. You see, um, I think that fight scene is really interesting because I didn't recognize this at the time, but it really shows how like well Thor uses the hammer, but also exactly how heavily that. he relies on it. You're so right about that. You know, like he's whacking people with it. He's throwing it and it's going in circles while he beats people up and he's... 
you know, spinning it to block fire breath and stuff from that giant yeah. freaking dragon. Oh my god, the dragon. He's dropping it in the dragon's jaw to keep him pinned down, which was pretty funny. Yeah, it's also funny when he pins Loki down with Hamburg, which happens on multiple occasions. Yeah. Yeah, Thor pinning people down with Mjolnir is just in general pretty funny. Yeah, and I still think the part in Age of Ultron where Quicksilver grabs the hammer and it just freaking tugs him along is <laughs> the funniest thing. That's that's that was good. I think that might actually be the best comedic use of Mjolnir in an MCU movie. Yeah, I mean you might. I would say second best would go to the moment in Dark World when it whizzes past and Darcy is like yeah yeah. That might I think that's second place. That's a topic for another podcast, though. Like, best uses of Mjolnir in the MCU. That's actually a really funny episode idea. I like that. It's a really specific episode idea, but that aside. Nah, anyway. Like, legitimately, I think it's funny. Anyways. Yeah. um, Um, Oh, uh, something I didn't really pick up on the first time I watched this movie was, like, Surtur informs Thor that, like, there's nobody on the throne of Asgard and he's basically left it defenseless or whatever. And at the end of Dark World, in case you um, didn't watch that movie, like, apparently a bunch of people didn't. Spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry. Loki is supposed to have died at the end. And at the very, like, at the very end of the movie, there's a scene where Odin talks to Thor and then Thor walks away and it's revealed that, oh my God, it's actually Loki in disguise as Odin. What is he possibly going to get up to? So like for all intents and purposes, Thor thinks that Odin is still alive and on the throne. So when Surtur says that thing, he's just like, there is a very clear moment of like, wait, what on his face that I did not pick up on before. I didn't notice that, but yeah, I guess, yeah, we figured that out pretty quickly when you, uh, when uh, Thor is trying to get back to Asgard, you know, and we see Scourge yeah. trying to impress these two oh Asgardian yeah. chicks. Oh, seriously, yeah. With his guns. <laughs> and his yeah, his shake guns weight. from Texas. His guns from Texas and his guns from practicing with the shake weight. <laughs> seriously? The moment in the blooper reel when Carl Urban is just messing around with the shake weight, it was like the funniest thing. But yeah, I know. And then Thor comes through with about like 10% of the dragon, i.e. its head. The fun 10%. And <laughs> yeah. And sprays like nasty purple and green dragon blood everywhere, including on the poor innocent maidens who are probably just listening to Scourge mansplain guns to them. Yeah, so what we find back at the palace, though, um, oh my God. it's kind of a mid-showing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, everybody's in the middle of a play about Loki's death, starring Matt Damon as actor Loki, which I, I thought it looked like Matt Damon, but I didn't realize it was actually Matt Damon. So that was funny. Oh, and the guy playing Thor in this play was Luke Hemsworth, so like the relatively forgotten Hemsworth brother, which is hysterical to me. Also, shout out to the moment when Loki as Odin realizes that Thor is here and he just goes, oh shit, almost spills his drink. (laughs) Yeah, that was, I I bet Anthony Hopkins really relished getting to play Loki as Odin. Like that just looks like it would have been a ton of fun to play. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, it really establishes, interestingly, like, a sort of sibling relationship between Thor and Loki, which the first time I saw Ragnarok was, like, I hadn't seen the Dark World yet, so, like, as far as I had seen, like, the last time Loki showed up was when he was, like, murdering lots of people with the Chitauri and everything, and then I, after seeing the Dark World, it sort of softens him a little bit. Yeah, and I would say the same sort of dynamic that we see in Force and Ragnarok 
definitely comes out more in the funnier moments of Dark World, like when Loki is telling Thor to press the button gently, like on the ship when they're trying to get away from Asgard or whatever, and Thor's like, I am pressing it gently, it's not working. Like, I see more of that dynamic there, and then it shows up again in Ragnarok, so... Yeah, yeah, and just the whole thing where, like, Thor's, like, holding Loki's face... In front of where Mjolnir is going to... Yeah, that's pretty genius. It's good. It's good. Yeah. But the, the, the thing that strikes me is that, by and large, the Asgardians didn't necessarily seem to mind that, quote-unquote, Odin was running the kingdom in this particular way, i.e. like lounging around in his bathrobe and watching a play about his two lost sons or whatever. Like, there were... As guardians who were like genuinely crying during the play, did you notice that? Like that one I've... woman like clutches at Thor and didn't look like she was crying crocodile tears necessarily because she was not really anywhere near where Odin would have seen her. Yeah, I mean yes, but we also see in the movie like Heimdall is already has already gone rogue. Oh, true. Yeah. So clearly he's already. I mean he's you know sees everything, so clearly he already knows that Loki's taken Odin's place. But also, mm. it seems likely that he would have been already been secreting away, like, loyalists or whoever who weren't really falling in line under Loki. Um, right, even yeah, because there were a ton of people in, like, the secret Asgard hall that Heimdall yeah. takes people to. Oh, there were a ton of people there. And I don't think they could have all been evacuated. I mean, I don't know. In that short it's hard order. to say yeah. how long uh, Hela was actually in Asgard running things just on account of how time is all wibbly wobbly yeah on Sakaar as well yeah definitely and just like in a movie in general I feel like you don't necessarily have a good sense of the time frame over which things happen yeah but I think it would be plausible at least that Heimdall has already been leading this like anti-Loki faction in the in the first place that's not something I had thought of but that makes a lot of sense yeah and Okay, another thing that I actually noticed in this in that scene, like with the play when we were watching it, is Loki has sort of posthumously um, revealed his own heritage as being yeah, a frost giant. Yeah, that is so interesting. And like being ab- adopted as guardian, but originally like being the son of Laufey. Yeah, and nobody seems to mind that either, which I, I think I said... It felt like the MCU had almost entirely forgotten about Loki's frost giant heritage, but you're right. This is a really interesting acknowledgement of it. And sort of, it almost felt like wrapping up a loose end in that sense. Like, I guess. Yeah, it yeah. kind of, it kind of seems like maybe Loki did it to enhance his own like tragic hero story or something like that. That's true. Yeah, I could totally say I'm doing that. But it's just interesting, I think, that he chose to reveal that particular truth even as he's uh, doing all this lying and all that. Yeah, that is really interesting. I had not... I you, you pointed it out when we watched it last night, but that's still not something that had occurred to me before. Yeah, so... Yeah, that all happens, and then we get uh, some of Loki and Thor. I guess they go to New York to find yes, Odin. Yes, to find Odin. And the care home that Loki had put him in was uh, demolished, and Loki's like, I swear I left him right here. Yeah, it's, it's some interesting, like they're kind of establishing a more brother 
type relationship than you see anywhere else. I think this movie, like, it definitely happens in uh, the first two Thor movies. Even in The Dark World, I think maybe more so than the first Thor. I would agree. Uh, which is interesting, I think, makes The Dark World probably worth watching, especially if you want to fully get this movie. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Yeah. I liked Dark World well enough, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'd heard a lot of bad things and hadn't really bothered to watch it until then. And I, you know, I think it's still one of the weaker MCU movies, but I don't think it's bad necessarily. And I think it does have enough to offer like context for Ragnarok that it's worth watching at least. Yeah, definitely. But this is not an episode about Dark World. True. So let's, okay. So oh, yeah, they went to New Loki York. gets abducted by Doctor Strange. Yeah. For a very fun bit of, uh, yeah. I don't want to say fiscal humor necessarily, but some entertaining, like, mind-screwing of Thor by Mr. Strange. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of... Pardon me, Mr. Doctor Strange. <laughs> I think there's definitely a lot of, like, really great physical comedy in that scene. And I, I mean, I still kind of think Doctor Strange's appearance in that movie feels a little bit shoehorned in. But I, I think Taika did as much with that scene as he possibly could. So I still end up liking it, all things considered. Like the bit where Thor is messing with the... What is he even messing with? Like I don't the rack know. full of... It's a rack full of some bobbly things. bits or whatever. And it yeah. falls apart. Yeah, and he's trying to put them back and just ends up knocking like freaking half of them onto the... Yeah. Um... So I think the... Yeah. So I think the interesting thing about... The Doctor Strange bit is like, you know, you said it was shoehorned in and I don't exactly disagree, but I almost like it explicitly for that reason, just because it's very much in line with how the comics work, where like, you know, you might have a scene where Peter Parker needs to get some science thing analyzed, so he whips it on over to the Fantastic Four and has Mr. Fantastic look at it for just like one scene or something. That's fair. That's fair. I can yeah. see that. And so, I mean, it's kind of a weird but fun little bit of world building. And yeah. I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't. Threads. I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't mess with Strange's cape at all in that particular scene because, um, like, there was so much physical comedy in Doctor Strange, the movie itself, involving the cloak of levitation or whatever the hell it's called. I don't remember and I don't care. That it's a friggin' cool that friggin' thing. Anyway, I'm kind of surprised that the cloak of levitation wasn't another source of like physical comedy in that scene. I think but that's I think just it, was, it would have I, taken more effort to CGI and stuff. That's true. Because and they did like some they did pretty limited effects for that whole sequence. Yeah, that's that's true. That makes sense. I almost suspect it was kind of a later addition to the movie because like Doctor huh. Strange doesn't even have his like hand makeup. He just has gloves the whole time. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I can see that being the case. I did think it was interesting that Strange had the eye of Agamotto. Yeah, can we talk about how at the, end like, of that, at the end of his movie? Yeah, can we talk about how funny it is that in Thor's like opening monologue to the skeleton in his cage or whatever, he mentions that he's gone across the galaxy or universe or whatever in search of Infinity Stones and found none. And for that entire scene in which he is talking with Doctor Strange, an Infinity Stone is right under his nose. It's like right yeah. there. That's hilarious. Unless it's like a decoy or something, but I don't know. Maybe uh, that's something we'll see in Infinity War. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? And can we also like give a shout out to like <laughs> when Loki finishes falling through or whatever, when, like Strange brings him back, Loki's just like, I have been falling for 30 minutes. And 
he go he like brings out his knives and goes to like attack strange and can we talk about how half-heartedly thor tries to stop him <laughs> he's just kind of like you know casually maybe putting like half a pinky finger in front of loki it's like that one yeah and then dr like strange just immediately goes push and throws him yeah it's like that one portal through it's him. like that one gif of like i think it's gene wilder in willy wonka in the chocolate factory where he's like no stop come back like that is what that made me think of um but yeah no yeah. anyway dr strange whoops them um to Loki norway gets embarrassed um, yeah and then yeah we have a whole thing with odin um he gives a whole like little talk to the boys about i'm oh. gonna die and surprise you have a sister surprise she's gonna kill you surprise she's gonna kill everybody yep yeah okay gotta go now good luck yeah great last words odin good job yeah, um, I mean, I'm making him sound like a little marginally more of a dick than he is, but... Only marginally. I mean, yeah. he's still, like, kind of a huge dick, which is, which is actually the entire point of this movie, large scale. Yeah, I think it's good that it shows, like, Odin is... I wouldn't say he's a bad leader, at least not at the times that we see him in the movies, but he's not perfect, and he does make a lot of mistakes, um, and this movie especially is, I think, one where they highlight that. Yeah, and, like, Odin himself is at least marginally aware of these mistakes, especially in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Like, he's not somebody who's just, you know, blind to his own failures and is mm -hmm. some, like, arrogant king. You know, you can, I think in this movie more than the others, you get, you really get the sense that he's been humbled by his failures. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Odin dies in a golden sparkly haze, and thunder rumbling whatever happens, and... You see Thor's, like, angry at Loki, blaming him initially for it, but yeah. they don't really get to follow up on that very much uh, on account of... Hela emerging from, like, where the, where the heck was she this whole time? Like, the dark dimension or whatever? I mean, I doubt it was the dark dimension, because that wouldn't really make sense for the Asgardians. I, I would suspect, like, I don't know, some mystical prison dimension sort of thing. Whatever. Anyway, Hela has her own realm in the comics and I think also in the mythology, so it might have been like there. Yeah. Okay, that would make sense. So anyway, that's she really comes through a cloud of like black and green smoke, wearing this like jumpsuit that's artfully beaten up. It looks like a you know something from the Kanye fashion line or whatever, um, and it looks really really good on her. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just it. I am very not straight. But yeah, no, and she introduces herself in typically, you know, dramatic fashion, proving that she is indeed a child of Odin. Yeah, I, I've mentioned this to Will outside of the podcast before. There's this one Tumblr post that I'm paraphrasing it, but it's like, it turns out Thor is the friendly jock middle child in a family of bitchy drama club goths. And honestly, I could not stop thinking of that post throughout like pretty much this entire movie, but especially Hela's sort of like debut or whatever. I actually love um, that. Yeah. yeah, it's so accurate. Though. I think it, it kind of... Also, like, even just that meme kind of shows that Loki's, like, trickery and mischief and trouble-causing is not, as might have be initially implied, a product of his, like, frost giant side, but yeah, true. really part of the product of being brought up by Odin and even yeah. Freya, because Freya taught him, taught him his magic. Frigga? Frigga. Right, yeah. Whoever time is magic. Friggin' anyway. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. You're yeah, like I had had that thought, but you kind of like put it into better words than I was able to come up with. 
But anyway, um, Thor and Loki are kind of getting ready to square off against Hela and Thor throws his hammer at her and she stops it in midair. And he's like, what? This should not happen. What is going on? And then she wrecks his hammer completely. And he doesn't even like really properly get time to like mourn the loss of the hammer or whatever. Because, because Loki she... freaks out and tells him to bring it back. Yeah. And... Thor's just like, no, don't, don't do that. Because like something that Odin happened to mention before he kicked it is that Hela would derive her power from Asgard. And if she were to get there, she would become tremendously more powerful, even just like by the second and everybody would be extra mega screwed on top of the super level of screwed they were already. Thanks, Loki. Yeah, good job, Loki. Um, so yeah, we get a really entertaining like Bifrost fight scene thing. Yeah, it was so cool. Which after seeing them like, you know, jumping through the Bifrost so many times uh, in previous four movies was a really cool twist on that sequence. Yeah, totally. Like she just, she just throws them through the walls of the Bifrost. Yeah, which is... I don't know. I guess I thought that was not how the Bifrost worked, but it's really cool regardless. Okay, though, question. Um, can Asgardians survive in space without air? Because presumably they were in space. I mean, obviously space. they can because they did, I guess. Yeah, I know. That's that's generally not something you need to worry about. Welcome to comics. Exactly. Okay. You're catching on. Okay. Apply phlebotanum directly to the head. Uh, so Thor, like, Loki actually gets thrown off the Bifrost first. Thor gets thrown out second, and Thor comes out on the junkyard planet. Sakaar, yeah. Several, like, weeks later. So time is passing a little bit differently in the outer realms or whatever than it is on Asgard. Yeah, specifically um, Sakaar seems to have some weird time of things going on. Yeah. Which is sort of talked about later. But yeah, so Sakaar is interestingly also the name of the planet that Planet Hulk takes place on. Yeah, doesn't this movie but, sort of incorporate parts of the Planet Hulk Yeah, this line? movie draws very heavily from Planet Hulk uh, plot elements and characters, but is also very fundamentally different from it. Mm-hmm, okay. Um, and Sakaar on, in Planet Hulk is a sort of medieval type thing. Like, Planet Hulk is almost like a Conan the Barbarian type of scenario. Huh. And Sakaar is overall much more primitive and ruled yep. by a, like, the Red King or something. And there's a whole So wait, like, was the Grandmaster an invented character for the this? Grand, the Grandmaster is actually an existing character, but not part of Planet Hulk. Okay. I was going to say, it wouldn't have surprised me if they had invented the Grandmaster specifically for this movie, specifically to give the role to Jeff Goldblum. No, he has Honestly, a... you, you can't convince me that, like, the character doesn't appear in the script, you know, as simply Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, he does exist in the comics and has a history of doing like gladiator fight type things, um, but never on Sakaar. And yeah, he actually is, I think, like the brother or something of the collector. Right, or, like, I feel like you've both, told me this before. Yeah, they're both, I think the title is Elders of the Universe or something like that. Mm, gotcha. So yeah, anyway, um, but in the movie, Sakaar is like this weird hybrid of the planet from Wally and like the Hunger Games or something. Yeah, basically. Yeah, Thor lands in a literal trash heap, which is wonderfully symbolic of his life at that moment. Yeah, it's basically all sorts of unwanted junk gets dumped there, and all the people who are also unwanted junk kind of 
make the best and or worse of it. Yeah. So Thor almost gets like nabbed by a bunch of scavengers, but then, ah, oh, light of my life, uh, Valkyrie comes onto the scene and promptly falls off her ship because she's drunk as hell. Valkyrie's wonderful. She's so wonderful. And Tessa Thompson is so wonderful. Um, it's it's great. Like ca- casting her was like one of the best decisions that the MCU has made. And like admittedly, the MCU is amazing in casting. So like that is saying a lot. But yeah, no, and Valkyrie uh, poaches Thor for herself and takes him to the Grandmaster, but not before he has to do... Okay, the thing he undergoes while he's, I guess, still unconscious or like... It's some weird like hypnosis orientation. Yeah, and the, the voiceover is like, welcome to Sakaar, where, um, I don't know, it's... I, I don't it's a know. whole like, it's a bunch of exposition and it's also like a weird... It feels like an orientation video that's also like... Really insulting. Yeah. It's like, oh, congratulations. You're unloved and unwanted. That's why you ended up here, basically. Again, I'm very badly paraphrasing. It's so much funnier than that. And it reminded me of some like, okay, it reminded me of two things at once. The tunnel in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And the, do you remember, when was the last time you watched Shrek? A long time ago. Do you remember when Shrek and Donkey first get to Dublock, they watch that sort of puppet show or oh, whatever yeah, with the wooden figures that. and they sing the song about Dulock. I it also reminded me a little bit of that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So that's and delightful. Get, yeah, and you get the crazy where he's like screaming as his chair is flying through this weird assembly thing and, and then, then he yeah. He's suddenly conscious in front of Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Still screaming. <laughs> yeah, that was great. So yeah, and then Jeff Goldblum is basically like, Congratulations, you're gonna you're going to be a gladiator in this competition that I run. And Thor's like, like hell I am, but he's yep. kind Thor, of changed to a Thor chair. So he's all like, choice. Uh, he breaks the chains in the chair. It's just this right. like, little obedience disc thing. Well, yeah. And I think the uh, cups that attach him to the chair are the same sort of like magnetic sort of things that you see in winter soldier in the I elevator. Mean, they're scene. not the same, but they're clearly similar. Yeah. Somehow. Quite similar. I would think. So yeah, Thor's strong enough to like lift the magnet things off the chair, but not to actually get out of the chair. Plus he has like that taser disc on his neck. Yeah. And then he gets a little bit of lightning coming out of his hand, which is the first hint of the powers we see later. But for the moment, it's just like the Grandmaster's like, oh, you make, yo, there's sparkles on your hands. That's cool. Wait, I forgot. Okay. There wasn't more of that lightning stuff on like the bluff where Odin died, right? Thor didn't do a little lightning thing then, did he? There was, I mean, he did a little sparkle thing in his hand, but he still had the hammer at that point. Oh, true. So yeah. And then Thor sees Loki. He's like, Loki over here. And Loki like pretends he doesn't know Thor for a hot second. Oh my God. It's great. Yeah. And then can we talk about how the Grandmaster totally makes bedroom eyes at Loki? He gets a comparable like facial expression when he's, you know, talking all sweet to Loki. It's a similar expression to the one he gets on his face when Valkyrie like pats him on the cheek. I mean, you don't. And like Loki has an awkward. I don't think awkward... Valkyrie slept with the Grandmaster. Either. Oh no! But I'm just saying. Honestly, number one, who wouldn't have a crush on Valkyrie, and number two, uh, I like. I'm pretty sure it's fan canon or whatever that like Loki sort of slept his way to the top. That is an interesting interpretation. Yeah. No. Seriously, 
like the way it's framed, like the Grandmaster is totally making, you know, cutesy eyes at Loki. And Loki has this like really awkward look on his face and Thor has this, what the hell is going on look on his face. And the, the, the camera focuses on each of their faces in turn. So there's very clearly an implication with a capital I being made there. And I think that's what the implication is. And it's, it's great. I'm all about it. But yes, anyway, um, Thor gets like what, tossed into that prison thing next? Yeah, he's in a little prison thing. He meets Korg, who's great. Korg Korg is plays him. really sweet, yeah. His yeah. bit about revolutions and pamphlets. Yeah, he's... <laughs> the bit, I didn't catch this the first time, but he said something like, oh yeah, the only person who showed up to my revolution was my mom. Oh, and her boyfriend, who I hate. That was hysterical. <laughs> also, I did not catch that the, the first fact, time. The fact that... Korg makes a brief offhand joke about no need to be afraid of me unless you're scissors. Uh, but also, because the pamphlet thing, he was defeated by paper. Oh my god, you're right! Oh, I forgot. I did not realize that. Oh my god, that's that's amazing. This, this movie is a, a masterpiece. I love it. Anyway. Fun. Korg and Meek are both based on characters from Planet Hulk, who are the Hulk's friends. But in this movie, they have very little in common with the characters of those names from the comics and are also have basically no interaction with the Hulk. Yeah, pretty much no. Like Korg explicitly says he's just sort of the warm-up act for the big uh, gladiator fights against the champion that the Grandmaster keeps referring to so proudly. And then Thor gets... Well, okay. Thor first goes to like a sort of locker room of sorts to pick out his weapons and battle armor and stuff to prep for his fight with the champion. And he, that's when he finds out that like Valkyrie is, you know, a, a Valkyrie. Um, I love his whole like awkward talking to oh Valkyrie about Valkyries. And I also love that he wanted to be a Valkyrie when he yeah. was a kid. That was a Adorable. I loved that. It's just nice. Yeah. And just like such good characterization for Valkyrie too, because like, holy crap, she is this like elite warrior person. Why would she be on this trash planet drinking to forget? There is actually one thing that I was wondering about the Valkyries and their relative timelines. Okay. So that Valkyrie, um, whose name we, I don't think we ever actually learn in the movie. Yeah, apparently it's Brunhilde, but I don't think that that's never actually stated in the movie. But yeah, yes, the comics enough. the comics Valkyrie goes by Brunhilde, so that might. Yeah, be so it. I think the fandom just assumed that. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, comics Valkyrie, very different character, but anyway. So the movie establishes that the Valkyrie, that like Thor knew about the Valkyries and wanted to join them, but also that the Valkyries were seemingly all wiped out by Hela. Not necessarily. Necessarily? Yeah, I, 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 I guess feel... it's plausible that the Valkyries were like wiped out by Hela, but were reestablished later. Yeah, that would something. make sense. And like, at so the very least, Valkyries they were decimated. The there may have been some scattered survivors who did not choose to leave, unlike Brunhilde, I guess. So yeah, that's, you're right. That's not something that's like stated explicitly, but like it's... <laughs> It's not unforgivable or anything. Like, the rest of the movie is just so darn yeah. good. That, honestly, I mean, I'm not going to get all, like, Last Jedi. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. Um, but anyway, yeah. Plot holes. I'm sorry, go on. Anyway, yes. So Thor finally gets to fight the champion. And okay, I swear 
He gets the haircut first. Oh, right, the haircut by Stan Lee. Um, yeah, honestly, if I wouldn't want Stan Lee, five, five razor hands Lee to be my barber either. I don't blame him for that. When he's like, don't cut my hair, it reminded me of like X-Men First Class when Charles Xavier is in Cerebro for the first time and he's like, don't touch my hair. <laughs> that that's I great. I don't remember that, but yeah, hey. yeah, I have seen that movie several times, I think. But yeah, no. So the far, the part the the part that really kills me about the gladiator scene, well, the first part because the whole scene is just gold. But I love that that line that like first popped up in the trailer. Like I know we know each other. He's a friend from work. That line was thought up by like a Make-A-Wish kid who came to the set. That's, yeah, I've heard that story. It's great. Yes. And I'm like, I love it, but I'm also really mad because like, damn it, that kid is funnier than I will ever be. Because that line is just hysterical. I love it so much. And I'm so mad that I didn't come up with it first. It's like, ugh, that's so good. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That kid needs to be like a comedy writer or something. Good Lord. Yeah. I, I love Thor's look in the fight. Yeah, I, I really it's like, really good. I like that he has a, his helmet. Yeah, you know, that like, is a cool helmet. Clearly not his own original helmet, but it's clearly based on his like comics helmet. So it's kind of cool oh, yeah, to see him with it when mm-hmm. he only had it like during that one ceremonial thing. In the yeah, I think movie. his helmet gets like knocked off or something pretty quick. I, I wasn't keeping track of that during the battle scene, but... Yeah, I I also think Thor attempting to calm the Hulk down by using the same like sort of code thing from Age of Ultron. Like it was surprising. I found it kind of sweet actually. It actually but it was, was funny kind of, when it didn't work. It was course. yeah, it was both hilarious and a sweet character moment of like Thor trying to go easy on the Hulk even. Yeah, cuz he was definitely like he did not want to actually for real fight this guy which i can't blame him for yeah no definitely not they're <laughs> on account of the hulk's a friggin enormous monster yeah no totally and also just like he knows hulk slash banner yeah, and, and stuff. also that yeah yeah which yeah so that makes sense but oh my god once he's like okay i clearly can't go easy on this guy then they have a great it fight. hits the fan oh my god i yeah. love loki's reactions to everything yes <laughs> Yeah, and it just he, his like look of complete horror when, when he first shows up. Yeah. Oh my god! Just like the extended like shot of only his face is like the best thing, and then him being like, "I have to get off this planet," <laughs> <laughs> and then and then when Hulk, I think this is right after the uh, sun's getting real low thing when Hulk like snaps out of it or whatever and just like freaking like wails. Thor on the ground or whatever, yep. and Loki is like, "Yes, that's how it feels." And Grandmaster is just like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> He's like, "I love this. I just love the sport." <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. So yeah, the fight. The fight scene is great. You yeah. know, Hulk gets in some real good hits. It's, Thor, it's actually a really evenly matched fight. Thor I think. holds his own surprisingly well. Yeah. Which I mean, is, he's an Asgardian, so that makes sense. It to oh, an extent. Can we talk about? Briefly, how uh, Grandmaster pronounces it at like ass place, Asperg or whatever. <laughs> so good. Anyways, carry on. Yeah, I mean Thor is really strong, but the Hulk is 
In the comics and in most interpretations of the Hulk, he's in an entirely different weight class from anyone else. Yeah. And Although Thor's I'm... the only Avenger who could really hold like his own in a direct fight against him. Yeah. Which, like, you but... see Thor's advantages play out in several moments. Like, being, you know, at the risk of stating obvious, like, being a lot smaller, Thor is a lot quicker, a lot more nimble than Bruce. And there are, like, a couple moments in that fight when... Bruce makes to, like, punch him or grab him or whatever, and Thor is really, like, I guess comparatively easy, able to, like, dart out of the way or whatever. So, like, they both have their strengths and weaknesses. I think, I thought it was a really interesting and well-matched fight, Um, or at least until the lightning came out and Ish got really real. It is really interesting to me that Thor is... Like, for for all that they make jokes about it later, Thor could have beaten the Hulk... I think, once yeah. he had that full-on lightning mode going, which, you know, there's going to be, like, Hulk fanboys who are like, the Hulk's the strongest one there is. Nothing stronger than the Hulk besides other Hulks. But, I don't know, I think it works for the MCU for at least Thor's, like, super mode to be able to... Yeah, because Thor is, like, a literal god. Let's not forget that. I mean, he's not a literal god. He's an Asgardian. I mean, I mean, you could make a case for, like, lowercase g god. He's a literal alien who were worshipped by gods. Okay, as fair, gods, fair, not by fair, gods. fair, fair. Because nothing can ever be a fair fight. Uh, Grandmaster's like, ah, party over, guys. Shout out to like how... Yeah. Like, what did he freaking like tell the audience? Like, oh, these two will have a rematch later so you can see them beat each other up some more. I don't remember. I, I don't know. I don't think it was shown, but I presume it had to have been something like that. Oh, I don't know. I mean, presumably Thor, like Hulk, looked like he just beat Thor at that point, so... No, I think at the point that he, like, activated the taser disc or whatever, Thor was about to really wallop Hulk with lightning stuff. But beating him, like, zapping him made it look like he was going to uh, make it look like the Hulk one. Okay, fair. So, yeah, and then I think the next, like, big extended segment we get is Thor and Hulk's quarters, which... Yeah, before we do that, though, like, meanwhile, Hela is on Asgard and... Okay, we can gloss over most of it. Like, the Warriors 3 die, which oh, is which very is so sad. S- I didn't pick up on that the first time. It's so sad. Lady Sif's not around, though. So oh, good we'll on see her. what happens with her. Yeah. She, if she comes back at some point. Cross my fingers. Yeah. We see how... Maybe she and Jane are off being gay somewhere. That'd be great. Every, like, fan theory with you involves homosexuality somehow. I mean, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, while we're on that topic, just I want to say briefly, Gamora and Valkyrie. Enough said. Anyways. Yeah, so, you know, we get a taste of how Hela is insanely powerful. Um, and insanely dramatic, too. Yep, yep. She kind of, They kind of set up Heimdall being they soul, his whole, like, woodsman, breastwing, Asgardian thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks very different without his big ol' helmet. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And we see... Scourge gets recruited by Hela as executioner, and we see Hela doing most interestingly, like her whole exposition about Odin and Asgard, and like pulling down the ceiling mm-hmm. and showing the different like ceiling mural. That's all like we were conquer, we were a like, conquering army and everything. Yeah, and this is where like other people have talked about how this film is extremely post-colonial, better than I could. Unfortunately, I'm not as up on post-colonial theory as I would like to be. But this segment here is really where the imperialist parallels 
come into play like really obviously yeah and it casts all of the previous like even stuff with asgard and other movies in a kind of a different light like if you go even back to um the first thor movie and the asgardians feuds with the frost giants you know like the things that laufey says about odin seem like it's probably a lot more a matter of like you know, the Frost Giants being exploited by Asgard than just the Frost Giants being dicks. Like, it looks like if you just look at the first Thor movie in a, back, in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so I think there's... It's just uh, some interesting stuff with how this rich and seemingly utopian society was absolutely founded on colonialism and never really... Instead of facing that past, Odin just covered it up. Exactly. In a very literal sense. Yeah, it's weird. So simultaneously, you get this sort of suggested interpretation of, and I think this is absolutely intended, of, you know, imperialism and stuff like that. But at the same time, Hela is really mad about being erased from this history. So at the same time, it's kind of a commentary on how like women are so often erased from history and taken together. Like, I think I said this when we were talking about this movie, like at first, when we were first discussing it, taken together, it feels kind of like an indictment of white feminism, you know, trademark, copyright, yada, yada, yada. Or like at the very least, it feels like a statement that white women can be and often have been just as complicit in like, imperialism and colonialism as conquering like male rulers or whatever. So that's a really nuanced message. That's like, really above and beyond, I think, what most Marvel films have been able to offer thus far. I mean, that's an interesting interpretation. The thing is, I don't think Hella Hella being erased from history never really seems to have anything to do with her gender like you can certainly interpret like some subtext yeah well i mean that. the audience isn't going to be watching this film in a vacuum like yeah yeah of course but i think like while the colonialism themes are colonialism and imperialism is very blatant hella as a character like her gender never really seems to be relevant to the plot or anything at any point yeah and i mean i think the Never being a race from history thing is more metatextual than anything. But like, again, those sort of implications are really interesting and sort of tangled when taken in concert. Yeah, yeah. I definitely see where you're, what you're getting at there. So yeah, and she, oh my God, she's so and disappointed when nobody remembers her. She's seriously? just like, excuse you? You get like a certain degree of the uh, Loki's self-aggrandizement and just some general entitlement from her, which is interesting and like she's yeah honestly she's so very like loki yeah you know she's a terrifying like goddess of death and everything but she's also kind of just petty and not petty but she still gets like a couple of funny bits so she's not just super self-serious the whole time oh yeah totally totally And and another really funny thing about her is this is not really a, something that was purposely built into the movie for comedic purposes, I don't think. But if you think about it, like, her superpower is basically just conjuring endless knives. I find that hilarious. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess. 
So yeah. I think, and then and then yeah. they go into the treasure room and right, you know, she does, she does, she resurrects a bunch of undead soldiers and her big old puppy. Oh um, yeah. But I think the interesting part is just kind of mocking Odin's treasure room. She knocks over Infinity Gauntlet like fake. Yeah, I still really hope that I guess we'll know by then, but I really hope that actually pops up in Infinity War. Like I somehow survived the climax of this movie. I don't um, think it should just because it was already established to be fake. Yeah, I do think it's funny that the one treasure that she actually likes is the Tesseract, correct? Yeah. And she's I like, mean, the eternal flame that's, that's not bad. The eternal flame that's oh, right. also in yeah, there yeah, yeah. is like, yeah. that's what she's there for. She right, sees the Tesseract yeah. and she's like, oh, that's not bad. Because, you know, she recognizes the... Does she know it's the... an Infinity Stone? I she... don't think she would know. I think she would know that it's extremely powerful, but I don't think she would know that it was an Infinity Stone exactly. Wow, am I glad she did not figure that out. Yeah, because like... Thor didn't even know what the Infinity Stones were until his like, like he gets his whole vision quest thing in Age of Ultron. hot tub time machine moment. Yeah, and I don't think Loki. I, I don't think Loki knew the extent of the powers that they had either. Probably not. So I think you know maybe Odin knew the full extent of it. So. But he took those secrets to his sparkly, sparkly grave. Yeah. I think it might, I don't know. Honestly, if Hela did know what the Infinity Stones were, it wouldn't really surprise me necessarily because they also did have the Aether um, after the Dark World. Oh, true. So well, they no, wait, no, wait. Whoa, the, no, the Aether got taken to the Collector, remember? Yeah, but before the Dark World, um, you know, before the movie actually happened, they had the Aether in some big old vault down in depths of Asgard or something. Did they? I mean, it was somewhere right like they captured it then the flashbacks that started the dark world and they right okay okay that's so like sounding more familiar and then the tesseract presumably got to earth by way of the asgardians right okay so yeah. presumably like the asgardians at some point had two infinity stones maybe or maybe not at the same time so they must probably know what the infinity stones were maybe at least odin probably knew and whether he shared that with hella or hella found out herself is really anyone's guess yeah Anyway, I think we're digressing here. Uh, we definitely are. Yeah. Um, let's jump back to Sakaar now, um, because I really do want to talk more about the Thor and Hulk like exchange in Hulk's bedchamber. Yeah, and, like, and that and is especially interesting because Hulk. If that's the first time we see Hulk being established as a character. Yeah, it's interesting that Hulk is way more verbal in this movie than he yeah. ever has been so far. And also and that they, like, they said, like, the whole thing with him starting in the hot tub was establishing that, you know, this is the Hulk and he is calmed down and he is, like, you know, just relaxing in the hot tub, but he's not transforming back into Bruce Banner. Yeah, that is so interesting. Yeah, and it's never really made super clear why it is he does that because this in this movie, the Hulk has been the Hulk since Age of Ultron and the one time where you see Bruce transform back into the Hulk, it's not because he's angry. But we can get to that later. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, it's really interesting. And this is the first it time we see... It makes it feel more like genuinely like a split personality thing. Yeah, which... and this is the first time we see that the Hulk can converse and, you know, form sentences even. Yeah, even if those sentences are slightly grammatically crude. Like, there's still very much an intelligent being there. Yeah, and it's interesting just how dramatically different he is from bruce banner and i don't know i mean that's like a whole thing with the hulk overall is like what yes yeah. you know is the hulk just a facet of bruce banner or are they entirely different entities that 
transform into each other or what. Yeah, like I had this theory back when we rewatched The Incredible Hulk that Hulk was actually a metaphor for toxic masculinity. But after rewatching this, I don't think that's that interpretation is necessarily valid in this context. I Yeah. I mean, honestly, the the evergreen comparison to make with Hulk is like the Jekyll and Hyde story. And I have a lot of Evergreen. opinions how, oh my God, I didn't realize that. Um, and I have a lot, anyway, I have a lot of opinions on how most people get the Jekyll and Hyde story wrong, but I think that's an, a topic for another episode. At oh some yeah, point. totally. Um, but yeah, no. And I, I just really love all the banter that Thor and Hulk have. Like they're both being like little assholes at each other. And oh it's yeah. Great. They are super immature. Yeah. And it's, it reminds me kind of a lot of like Thor and Loki's dynamic almost, it except it's does. like Thor and bigger Thor. It's almost like Thor is talking to a little brother or something. Yeah, I can see that. Who The little brother who can beat the hell out of him. And, yeah, something okay. like that. One thing I really love about specifically Hulk's characterization is that he's super cocky. Like the whole bit mm. where he's like Hulk, like big raging fire, Thor, like little fire or whatever like yeah, it's the first time he's we get... really like yes <laughs> really overconfident and it's really funny especially because he's not overconfident because he's the hulk well true but it's really interesting to play hulk's cockiness against thor's cockiness because like they're yeah. both in yeah. a way what makes their dynamic so interesting is that in a lot of ways they're kind of the same sort of person but they're also like approach that sort of person this in very different ways i guess yeah it's more like we were talking about how it feels like a sibling dynamic it kind of feels like the type of sibling dynamic where the siblings don't necessarily want to acknowledge how alike they are and they're just trying to like best <laughs> each other and stuff like that oh yeah yeah this that's an, that's a, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, they're so similar in so many ways. Yeah, I, also, think, I just think it's really interesting, and that's not something I think we get a lot with um, Thor and Loki. I mean, we do get that same like sort of competition with them, but they're both like ve they're very different like personality types, so they're going to play off each other differently. And it's really interesting yeah, to see yeah. Thor have a different sort of sibling dynamic with somebody. I like that. And I think it's uh, awesome that we got to see Hulk, but... Oh my god. Yeah, and Thor was just like, oh, I don't want to see that. Oh, it's right there. Yeah, that's <laughs> that was that was funny. Yeah. Yep, and... Okay, can we, can we also talk about how Valkyrie and Hulk genuinely seem to be really good friends? Yeah, which Because she's is... just like, hey, big guy. And they're like all friendly with each other. And that just like warmed my cold, dead heart when yeah. I saw it. It was just too cute. I almost wonder like how differently maybe the Hulk was brought in as opposed to Thor. Because the Hulk doesn't have any like obedience disc thing. And no, he doesn't. clearly not interested in leaving because a champion is allowed to leave, but he hasn't. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, you know you what know, you were it, saying a while back about Hulk maybe being happier in the DC universe where he's not like the single-handedly most powerful character? I wonder if it's not that sort of dynamic on Sakaar. Like, it's yeah, an think... outlet for Hulk to be Hulk and basically Hulk knows what he has on Sakaar and he's not keen to lose that. Yeah, I mean, people love the Hulk. Oh, God, yeah. 
You know, like we see it in this. Which I think is really nice because we see so much of Bruce like absolutely despising the Hulk and like other people despising the Hulk, especially after like the events of what happens in South Africa and Age of Ultron and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I mean, when the Hulk and Thor are having their little like pissy shouting match, the thing that Thor says that really gets to him is like, yeah, Earth hates you. Yeah. Which was, you know, a dick move that Thor immediately acknowledges as a dick move. But it's also like... It's also very It's interesting that that's like what kind of gets the Hulk more upset than most of the other things. Yeah, yeah. Probably and partly because it's like as true as it is. Yeah. Yeah, and like Thor and Valkyrie, they try to... uh, Thor tries to get Valkyrie to (laughs) come with them and she's all like drinks a bottle of booze very quickly. Yeah, alarmingly quickly. And then, like, later when Thor's, like, expressing his determination to go back to Asgard and fight Hela, like, he tosses the ball that Hulk was playing with at the wall and it just immediately <laughs> ricochets and hits him in the head. There is there's so much... Knocks him flat. It's so good. There's so much good physical comedy there. And, like, when yeah. Hulk is all... When Hulk throws the, uh, like, jawbone that is the upper part of his bed and to block the door to keep Valkyrie from leaving. And it doesn't even block like the entire door. Yeah, she either. could still leave at she that totally point. She totally could have, but she didn't. But you know, she sees that Thor that Hulk wants him to stay. Wants her to stay. Yeah. So she's like, yeah. And I guess she really like has some sort of almost respect for Hulk in that sense because clearly in that moment she's listening to him rather yeah, than Thor. Yeah. And again, I just think the relationship they have, like we guess we see maybe like Five seconds of it in the movie, but it's so cute and I love it. Yeah, it's kind of cute. I, I'm honestly, what I'm, what's occurs to me that I'm not sure about is why did they just like put Thor in the Hulk's bedroom? That's a really good question. I'm not sure about that either. Like there is just one bed in there and Thor is also not allowed to leave. So like, what were they expecting to happen? Given, okay, that might have actually been the Grandmaster's idea, which I wouldn't be surprised if he was hoping something a little sordid would occur. That, you know, you know, that does seem like the sort of thing the Grandmaster would do. Totally. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't thought of that before, but that makes like a truly terrifying amount of sense. You're welcome for that mental image, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have that mental image. Oh, Lord. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so should we maybe cut it? Cut this part of the episode here. I was on, gonna say. I feel just like to end on that wonderful yeah. note. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's a maybe disgusting yet fitting note to end on for now. This is gonna have to be a two-parter because we just have so many thoughts on this movie, and they cannot be contained in a podcast episode of reasonable length. So we're gonna head short there and record the second part of this episode at some point. Sure. Yeah, as always, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review. We will love any feedback we get. Yeah, till next time then. Yeah. That's it for this episode of Yelling About Superheroes. For more yelling, you can follow us on Twitter at yellinabtsupers or check out our website at anchor.fm slash yelling-about-superheroes. You can also visit Whitney's blog at whitneythompson.wordpress.com where we post our reading lists for each episode. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and we'd love it if you leave us a review as well. Our theme music was composed by Rodrigo Vicente, and you can listen to more of his work at booksounds.com. 
Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.